Hello, I am Dr. Jason Parker, and this is the Engaged and Athletic Leadership Podcast. This is the podcast designed to provide you with the tools and fuel you need to impact your world. Engaged leaders are intentional, and athletic leaders are skillful and trained to overcome any challenge. If that describes you or the leader you want to become, this podcast is for you. Welcome and enjoy the show. Well, hello, and welcome to the Engage and Athletic Podcast. Listen, guys, if you know me, you know that I am a connoisseur of culture. And what that really means is I love to be the one to set the tone for my organization and provide that missing ingredient, which really enables others to unlock their greatest potential. Let's be honest, even as a leader, it's all too easy to fall into the status quo and simply manage administrative tasks. The problem with that is you will always be judged on how you impact people. How do you make your presence felt for the better? How do you add value to others around you? Go ahead, answer that question right now. Better yet, let those who you lead answer it for you. For those who are wondering on how to change culture, particularly in the midst of the current challenges we are facing, I encourage you to look beyond yourself, do some research, and study others who are influencing organizational culture at a high level. And that's exactly what I've done today. I'm super excited for today's guest, Mr. Willie Spears. Mr. Mr. Willie Spears is actually currently an assistant principal and holds the title of Dean of Culture of all things. He's a head football coach, a former AD, a speaker, an author, a trainer. He's somebody who's battled on first take with Stephen A. A. Smith, toe-to-toe, and even won that battle. Welcome, Mr. Willie Spears. Willie, how are you today? Oh, I'm so great, Jason. Thanks so much for having me, man. I I, uh, I didn't know who you were describing in that intro. I was trying to figure out, man, they got a pretty exciting guest on today. I wonder who that is. Well, I'm pumped as well. You got my blood flowing this morning. Uh, obviously, you've accomplished a lot. So let's get into it. Talk to me a little bit about your background. Well, man, I'm from Panama City, Florida, born and raised, and uh, was so blessed to to be uh, best friends with my future wife that I didn't know about, of course, at the time. And we've been married 16 years, me and Tanika. We have two beautiful children, Taylor and Kenneth. Taylor is uh, 15 and Kenneth is 14. Uh, I uh, grew up in the church. So thankful for that foundation and that training. Uh, I was being trained in so many areas uh, in communication, of course, in the scripture, but also how to relate to people and how to speak in front of a crowd. I went to Northwest Oklahoma State University in Alva, Oklahoma. Loved my time there. I probably talk to somebody from Northwestern every day right now and uh, in some form of texting or social media communication. Uh, it was a blessing for me to be there at Northwestern. I majored in communications was a big part of our radio and, and newspaper uh, industry there on campus, as well as I was a football player, and we were part of the 1999 NAIA National Championship team that went undefeated. So I was in the right place at the right time. That was really cool. Left there, played arena football, indoor professional football for a couple of years, and worked on a cruise ship with Disney Cruise Line, later earning my master's from Troy University, and then get into the area of education. I've written six books. Uh, I speak all around the country. 
a little bit in Canada as well. I actually was invited to speak in London this fall, but won't be able to make that engagement. So our goal is to add value to people in any way we can. If more of your grass will add value, we want to mow your grass. If going shopping for an elderly person will add value, we want to go shopping. If giving you a quote, giving you a scripture, or giving you a word of encouragement will add value, we want to do that. If being quiet and listening to you vent, or talk to help you in any way or add value, we want to do that. So we just believe we're on the earth to add value to the lives of others. And one way we do that is by being poured into from people who have value to add to us. And so it's a constant cycle, and I'm honored to be on the show and honored to try to share a few things that have helped me so I can add value to others. Wow. That's what it's all about, man. My prayer for every day is to that Lord bless me to bring impact and whatever that means, like you said, whether that's listening, whether that's giving, it, it doesn't matter, but it, it's all uh, for the good of others. And so you, you've accomplished so much, man, nationally renowned speaker, writer, coach, athletic director, thought influencer, and all around high performing individual with all that going on and being successful in so many different areas, what is your driving motivation? It's very simple. I, I really believe that in my house may be the next Mother Teresa and my daughter, may be the next Mandela or Dr. King and my son. With that being said, I cannot miss. We can't drop the ball. It's too important. We can't be ha haphazard. We must be intentional. And with that being said, we have to continue to drive every day. Wake up with a passion that exceeds anybody's expectation. I was listening to a guy named Tim Grover. He was a trainer for Michael Jordan for 15 years. And he was asked by the interviewer, how in the world did you connect with Michael Jordan and how do you pick your clients? He said, my clients have to be as messed up in the head as I am. He said, what do you mean by that? He said, I want a client that I have to tell to go home. I, I don't want a client that I have to motivate to show up. I want a client that I have to tell, that's enough. We've worked enough. You put in enough. Please go home. Everybody doesn't have that mentality. And so my driving force is to be the very best. Our company is called the Willie Spears Experience. We want you to have an experience when you come in contact with us. We want to be the th thermostat. We want to change the temperature of the room, not in an arrogant way, but in a way that you can say, you know what, this guy is obviously researched, he's well-read, and he said something today that's going to impact my life for the rest of my life. And that is our driving force, to be the very best in everything we do. If you have called us to fold the chairs and put them against the wall and clean the floor to get ready for the next event, when we leave, you're going to say, man, that guy must be a professional floor cleaner because he cleaned this floor like it was the most important job that there was in the world. And that drives us every single day. That's awesome, man. I mean – Right now, you actually hold the title of Dean of Culture. How, how, how do you come about getting a title like that? Well, I wrote a book called Culture Creators a few years ago. And uh, the head of school, a guy named, um, his name is Anthony Brock. He started a school six years ago called Valiant Cross Academy. And he would do professional development trainings with me one-on-one. -on -one. We would sit down and talk about how he can be a better speaker, how he can do a better job of influencing. And it was amazing to me because I admire him. Uh, this is a gentleman that saw an issue in his hometown of Montgomery, Alabama, and said, 
A lot of people are not getting the education that they deserve, and I want to help them. So he targeted African-American males, and he said, I want to give them a quality education at a private school, even if they can't afford it. That goal, that passion, and then that execution for me is very impressive. And so when he comes to me and says, Spears, help me with this, help me with that, I was honored to do so. We talked for years about me being a part of what he's doing in the area of expounding upon them what culture is needed to make sure, not, not just think about it, but make sure that you're intentional about having the right culture. The culture is conducive to growth. I often say that oranges don't grow in Michigan and snowmen aren't built in Miami because the environment is not conducive to that type of growth. You have to create the environment that you want. And once you get that in desired environment, then the culture will change the outcomes of everything in the building. And in, at Valley Cross, we want high ACT scores. Everything is about numbers. Everything is quantitative. Everything is intentional. And so when he talked to me, we designed together my job description and then the expectations, and then the evaluation. And so what he came up with was Dean of Culture. And he said, it's your job to make sure we have the right culture. So when I walk in a classroom, there should be no book bags on the floor. Nobody's head should be down. Every child, every scholar, as we call them, should have their tie on. Their shirt should be tucked in. Every teacher should be engaged, never on their phone, never uh, thinking or talking or, or acting out. They should be engaged 24-7. Every minute of the class day is accounted for. And this happens through data-driven instruction. This happens through instructional planning. This happens through professional development, through observation and so and feedback. And so we're constant and we're intentional, and he calls that being the dean of culture. Well, that's amazing. And, and beyond being constant and intentional, you've tied it to data. You've tied it to something that is quantitative, whereas culture is so often something that is ephemeral and something that can't be touched and not exactly tangible and is sometimes nebulous. I love that you guys have real initiatives that you've tied to real goals that there's meat to, to where you're going. And I love that. Talk to us about what are some tangible initiatives um, leaders can get behind to change their culture. That's a great question. And you're absolutely right. When we think culture, we don't think quantitative. We think qualitative. We think everything you say, we, we think there can't be a tangible number to it. We think we can go in there and we can feel it. It feels like the culture's right. But the problem with I'm doing a great job with my diet. I'm doing a great job with my exercise. Well, no, we don't go by what you feel. We go by what the numbers say. And so when the teacher does not have the numbers that we require, I hand them a mirror. I walk around with a book bag on. I wear a suit every day with a tie, slacks. I have a book bag on. I pull out a mirror and I say, ma'am, sir, please look at this because that's the problem. Wow. It's not the parents. It's not society. It's not the administration. Look at that. That's the problem. And so ownership is leadership. And so when we take ownership and we say, if this is going well, it's because of me. If it's not going well, it's because of me. All right. So, Dr. Parker, you play sports. 
you play basketball. If you miss nine out of ten free throws, you can blame the referee. You can blame the fans. You can blame the ball. Or you can look in the mirror and be a man and blame that guy. And then you've got to figure out what do I have to do to fix this problem? And so the, the way that we do that is we do constant evaluation. You're always being evaluated. I'm talking about every week you will receive evaluations so you know your grade. The same when I coach. Some guys use a one through five system. Some use an A through F system. Some use a, a plus minus system. But it has to be constant evaluation. I want to know where I stand. Did I do a good job today? Did I not do a good job today? Did I meet the expectations? If I did, that's not good enough. We want to exceed the expectations. And that happens with constant rigor. It's not comfortable. It's not fun, but it gets results. And if that's not you, then you may be a great teacher. You're just not in the right fit for us. You may be a great person, but you're not the right fit for this relationship. You may be an, a very smart individual where you need to go somewhere else and let your intellect help that school. But we want people who are data driven and they it bothers them when a child does not yeah. get it. And when it bothers you, you say, Johnny, can you meet me out the class? Johnny, can you come in early tomorrow? Johnny, can you meet me at Starbucks on Saturday? I just want to have about one hour of your time. You do extra and you make extra normal. When doing extra becomes your norm, then you're where we right. want you to be. No, that, that's huge. I, we've had that problem at, at my organization as well, where we've obviously got some some dynamic people in place. Um, but it was hard to move what we couldn't measure. And so we had to create quantitative measures, especially for the students, but for the coaches as well, where they could reflect – on a pretty regular basis, it was even daily for students on how, how did you, how did you do today? You know, we've got a motto win every day. So we want to win the moment each and every day that we step into on that campus. And, but our students couldn't totally realize that and understand that until we created that culture code and that feedback system that, that gave them immediate feedback saying, hey, this is where you stand based on where we're trying to go. And so I love that you that you mentioned that. Yeah, and, and I agree with you 100 percent. And what you just used was sports terms. You said win the day. That's a sports term. <laughs> when I first started this, Jay, what, what happened was I was afraid to tap into my my past or my present as a coach. I, when I would speak, I started speaking professionally in 2006. I would never allow them to say that I was a coach in my bio. I was under the assumption that they would think less of me. They would think I was a dumb jock. But as I've grown and as I've read more and more, I was on a Zoom call with uh, the CEO of John, uh, John Maxwell's uh, CEO of John Maxwell Leadership, not just one-on-one, -on -one, but it was about probably 25, 30 of us guys on that Zoom call. And getting those type of resources has helped uh, verify what I believe my whole life, that sports, the way that we do sports is the way that we yes. should do everything. So if you look at sports, sports is data-driven, yes. 100%. Yes. Like the reason the argument for Michael Jordan, anybody, you go to the barbershop, the argument between Michael Jordan and LeBron is based on data. 
Somebody's going to say points. Somebody's going to say years playing. Somebody's going to say number of rings. That's all data. If you're watching ESPN Sports Center, they're saying this guy, batting average, is three, three, uh, 386. That's a good batting average. This guy's been to the All-Star game seven times. Everything right. is numbers. And so it was even one show that calls numbers right. never lie. So in education, in business, we act like it doesn't matter if you win. Well, you think you don't think that Verizon and AT&T are in comp- constant competition? You don't think that uh, uh, iPhone is in constant competition with everybody else? You don't think that Pepsi and Coke are in constant competition? That Under Armour and Nike and Adidas are in constant competition? It's all sports-based. All All of it. And so once I allow myself to say, you know what? I'm not going to run from this. I've been playing sports since I was eight years old. I'm not going to run from this. I'm going to embrace it. And you're absolutely right. If the goal is to carpe diem, to seize the day, to win the day, if that's the goal, then every day I know if I'm a winner or a loser. And when you play basketball, you look at that scoreboard after that fourth quarter or after that game is over, and you're able to say, we won today or we lost today. You you couldn't say, you know, I felt good. A jumper was nice. No, it doesn't matter how you feel. The scoreboard is going to be the assessment to tell us if we're successful or not. And that mentality drives greatness. No, you're right. I've always said that uh, athletics is a microcosm for life, man. And the more that we can uh, learn these principles of of teamwork, of of building positive character, of uh, being able to measure our success on a daily basis um, and evaluate ourselves, self-awareness, uh, extreme ownership, as you mentioned earlier, these things are going to proliferate and cause individuals to be successful beyond the basketball court or the baseball field. And so I, I, I'm hoping our leaders out there today can can take this to heart. Tell me, Willie, what are some goals as, as a leader at a as a leader at a school? What are some goals that you guys are setting forth to drive your culture? The number one goal is every student qualifies to go to college. And what I mean by that, they have high ACT scores, high academic standards. We do have athletics. I am the head football coach, but we don't want to create a culture that athletics is the only avenue to go to college. We want it to be one of many avenues to go to college. So that's one goal, and that's measured every day. The other goal is that we're an example in the community. We're a beacon in the community for, for, for servanthood. We're a beacon in the community for volunteering. We're a beacon in the community for behavior, how, how to act. Well, the other day, some of our scholars went and helped the church uh, with, with some donations that they had and moving some boxes around. And a lot of people were excited and, and some people posted on social media how well behaved they were. Well, that, we weren't surprised. That's our standard. You know, we, we, they're not going to be sagging their pants and using bad language and being disrespectful. Like, that, that's not our brand. We're going to protect the brand. And so our, our goals are constantly, I mean, they're posted everywhere, every meeting, even now in the Zoom meetings. We're reminded of our goals. We're reminded of the standard. And and one of the goals uh, is to make sure that each scholar is a young man that represents his culture, his community, and he represents the character of our program and our school. And so those goals only happen if we are intentional about bringing them up every day and reminding them of the standard. We don't talk like that. We had a speaker the other day. A kid was looking down. 
And when it was over, one of the coaches said, when we have a speaker, what do we do? And all, every scholar said, track the speaker. That's the goal. If someone comes to talk to us, you don't put your hand down. You track the speaker. And so we believe if we take care of those little things, the big things that take care of themselves. Right, right. Tell me this. If I'm, if I'm a leader and I'm looking to influence my culture, maybe I'm somebody who, who drifts towards the administrative part. Maybe, maybe I, I'm in this whole world of everything that's going on between COVID-19 and social injustice. Maybe I don't have the tools to, to really influence my culture. Tell me what's, what's one thing every leader can do to get this thing off the ground and start to start to inhibit, or I'm sorry, infuse culture change. Great question. I, I believe it's a few things. One, you, you, if, you have the, if you have the ability to hire, you have to hire people who fit your desired culture. Like, don't settle. Don't hire someone because you guys are in the same fraternity or you guys come from the same church denomination or you guys are the same race or even the same gender or the same sexually. Like, don't, 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 don't base who you put in your organization on on things that the world bases things on. If you want the right fit, then you need to write down exactly what you want and do not settle until you can attract that type of person to your business. So for us in coaching, we, we look at four C's. The first C is character. The next one is calling. The other one is competent. And the last one, um, if we want to make sure that it's the right chemistry that you fit with our group. So we break those things down before we hire someone. Then to, to answer your question, the, 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 the leader, he needs to learn or she needs to learn and lead. They need to learn and lead. And we have four of the L's. They need to lift each other up. They need to love one another. You know, they need to laugh. They need to lament. You talk about the social injustice. If you're not feeling the sting of the, what's going on in our country, you need to lament with those that do. You need to understand that it may not hurt you. It may not affect you, but it affects the people you work with, the people that you love. And so those L's that love, lift, lament, lead, laugh, those things are important. But the biggest thing for me is that we learn to read, gain knowledge, and then lead after doing that. And that'll help change your culture. And I often say I can walk into an organization and within the first five minutes, I can tell you everything I need, you need to know. I need to know yeah. about your culture. The first five minutes, I, I can tell by your receptionist. If it's a church, I can tell by your ushers. I can tell by the cleanliness of the environment. I can tell by how the people act in the organization. It's very quick to tell. And this, this is a sad thing, Jay. This is a sad thing. Everything rises and falls on leadership. So if the culture is bad, it's the leader's fault. If the culture is good, it's because the lead, leader is either teaching it or allowing it. So even when it's bad, if something bad is going on, the leader may say, well, I didn't ask her to act that way. Well, you're either teaching it or allowing it. Because if there's constant evaluation, then you know that that person at the front right. desk is rude. You know that that place is clean. You know that there's a bad odor. You know, like, if there's constant evaluation, then you're not shocked when things go against your defined culture. But if we don't write the culture down, if we don't post a mission statement everywhere, if it's not concise 
and, and easy to remember, then the people in the organization, they're just showing up to work at punch on the clock. And you're just like everybody else, which makes you average. So I believe to answer your question, the one thing we could do is read yeah. and lead. No, no. To your point, we actually had an opening this year, uh, this summer, for, for a position in our organization that's very important to us. And we we posted it, obviously, and went out and were very intentional and recruited some guys uh, for this position and, and felt like we, we had the right fit and the, the person declined the offer. And so we've spent the last two months really seeking people and, and not able to find the right fit. And so we kept that open and we've prayed on it. We've continued to put it out there. We, we, but we were not going to fill that position with the wrong person. And so we sat on it, we sat on it, and we sat on it, and I literally got a call two days ago from the very first guy we offered it to, and he said, you know, I, I made the wrong decision at the time, and he actually accepted the position, but that just goes to your point that those who you bring in are so important, and we can't settle for less. Another thing, to your point, what we're doing this year is adding to each coach evaluation, what are you reading? What are you learning? So we can help hold you accountable and show improvement in the area of learning. Like you said, leaders got to be readers. We have to be learners. And so often that is lost in, in our organizations. I agree. Well, very good, man. I want you to tell me this. How has COVID-19, how has social injustice how has that impacted your leadership or the methods that you employ to influence culture? Excellent question. I was actually in Arkansas speaking at a, a athletic directors conference um, there. And I think is I want to say Springs, some Springs, Arkansas. Um, but um, anyway, when it hit, there was in the state tournament. And they canceled the games. That's why I knew it was serious. Then I got a call from a university president telling me that our, my speaking engagement at her university was going to be canceled. And then I got another call from another university that I was going to speak at. It was canceled. So I was like, wow. So it's impacted me financially, to be honest with you. But it also impacted me in a very positive way. I've spent more time with my wife and more time with my children. And we've been intentional about taking advantage of this time to do a better job in our health to do evaluation of our, our time spent as a family. Uh, one of our vacations that we go on every year was canceled. We go to uh, St. Simons Island, Georgia, the first week of uh, July every year, and, and we couldn't go this year because of COVID-19. They canceled the trip that we normally take. It's a conference we go to together as a family. So that's one way. The other way is it's, it's caused me to be more intentional uh, about small things like cleaning and making sure you take care of yourself and trying to listen to the news more and being aware of my surroundings. Uh, my children both have weak immune systems, so we want to be make, we want to make sure that we don't put them in harm's way. Uh, it also affected the way we worship. Uh, we, we've always gone to church. We really enjoyed church, and we couldn't go to church, so we had to find other ways to grow spiritually. And uh, same with our exercise routine. The gyms were closed. We had to find a way to work out. We had to find a way to not fall into the easy temptation of eating potato chips and watching law and order all day so those things were real for us as far as social injustice uh, i'm black i've been black 42 years 
Uh, a lot of experience some things that I don't think some of my white brothers have had to experience. And because of the way our culture, our country is right now, some people are realizing that my, the church we go to is mostly white people. Uh, there's not a lot of black families. I would say it's 15% African-American. And we had a talk the other day with our youth. I'm one of our youth leaders. And it was very, very good and very intentional. Myself, uh, a Caucasian police officer, and our pastor and our youth pastor was all on stage. And we talked about real issues. Uh, everything from, uh, they asked the question, Willie, what do we call you? Do we call you African-American or do we call you black? I said, well, just call me Willie. My daddy named me Willie. Call me Willie. You know, and so we laughed about that, but we talked about those things. And some of our uh, parishioners, some of our members, they live on Panama City Beach. And many of them are not around black people very often. And so they, they asked a lot of great questions. They asked about Black Lives Matters. And I told them, I am not the advocate for all black people. I'm not the spokesperson. I can tell you about my experiences. And these are very uncomfortable conversations. Right. But I don't believe any growth happens if right. we're comfortable. You can't grow and be comfortable. You need to make a decision. Do I want to grow? Do I want to grow physically? Then I have to go right. to the gym. No pain, no gain. I can't eat every cupcake. I can't eat fried chicken every day. I can't eat hot dogs. I can't eat. I mean, if I want to lose weight, I got to stop eating so much. I want to. I love sweet tea, Jay. I mean, I love it. But I can't drink sweet tea all day and expect my stomach to not be out there like I'm like I'm carrying sure. a child or something. So it's, it's that simple. And it's the same uh, uh, when it comes to, to learning about each other's race. We have to have uncomfortable conversations if we're going to grow. Some of us. We want to choose a path of least resistance. We don't want to grow. We don't want to have a tough conversation. And we want to hope everything yeah. works out. And I just don't think that yeah. it works that way. And so uh, I've been affected by COVID-19 and uh, about the, the, the social injustice that's going on in our country. Uh, my view is not everybody's view. Uh, but I think the most important thing is that we sit down with our family and share our view with our family. Let our family know. Tell my two teenagers, this is how we feel about people who are different than us. This is how we feel about being black, being African-American. Like, like this is what it means. And, and this is how you talk to the police officers. This is how you respond if you get pulled over. You know, and so I think we have to talk about those things so we don't just assume that everybody's on the yes. same page. And I love what you said about leadership as far as going back and really being able to have those tough conversations. I think that applies. It's similar to what you said about the evaluation. An evaluation is, is often a tough conversation, particularly when you're trying to um, exercise change in, a, in an area. And so those tough conversations are something every leader needs to become comfortable with. Well, listen, at the, for, to wrap up our time today, I want to get into our engaged in athletics questions. And these questions are designed to really let the, let the listening audience get to know you as a leader and some things that you are putting into your daily routine that really allow you to be your best. So our first question is, what are the best books you've read recently? Uh, recently, I read a book called... Um... Oh, what's the name of that book? Uh, Diamonds, Angers of Diamonds by Jensen Franklin. I'm reading that right now. It's really good. I read a book by Seth Davis called Getting to Us. Getting to Us by Seth Davis. Very good leadership book uh, about professional coaches uh, in different sports. 
And um, there's a book now called White Fragility that I'm starting to read uh, that I'm very excited about. I try to read a book a month. I try to, and uh, it's been great for me. Uh, I even read Michelle Obama's book uh, called Becoming. It really opened my eyes up to a lot of things. I read that a few months ago. Uh, but those are the books that I'm reading now, and they're awesome, really helping. Awesome. Tell me this. What is your go-to or your most engaging physical workout? Great question. Uh, I try to work out three to five days a week. Um, my most engaging workout is when I work legs. I hate working legs because I don't play sports. And when I want to work chest and back all day, that's what I love. And biceps and triceps, of course, for the cosmetic look. But when I when I run three miles, then I go in the gym and I do my I do a, what I call a cycle. Ten. These are the reps. Ten, eight, six, four, two, eight, and um. Uh, you, you, you got a max. So let me say my max on squat is 300 pounds. And so I start with um, 60% of that. I'm sorry, with 40% of that for 10 reps. And then I add the percentage all the way up. So my set of two, I'm doing 300 pounds. And then my set of eight, I go back to 40%. That workout kills me. And I don't do it as often as I should. Uh, but just, just mentioning it to you makes my entire back, uh, abs, quads, yeah, Everything it's be hurting too, but that's a good one. That's 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 old school right there, going back to the days on the football field. Well, tell me this: what does your reflection time look like? Uh, what I try to do, I try to pray an hour a day. My commute to work is over two hours, and so the first hour I have my phone off and I try to pray. Some may call it meditating. Some may call it reflect, reflecting, but it, it clears my mind. No notifications on the phone, no music, no constant beat to, to, to keep me bobbing my head, but just silence. And in doing that silence, I, I speak. I'm a big, I'm a man of faith. And so I pray and I pray uh, for people. This morning, I pray for our leaders. I pray for the president of the United States. I pray for every governor, pray for every mayor, pray for my children, pray for their future spouses. And so 30 minutes of that or so is praying. Then the next 30 minutes is reflecting. You know, how can I improve? How can I get better? What am I lacking in? Where am I deficient? Wh wh who can I go to to help me in my areas of weakness, physically, mentally, spiritually, in my marriage, as a parent, financially, like as a coach? Wh where do I need to go to get the training so I can be all in and I can be the real deal in every area of my life? And so I try to do that every morning, the first hour of the day. I don't get it done every morning, but I definitely get three days to four days every week. Every week, I never do less than three days. Sometimes I get seven in, but I never do less than three. And so that's been real good for me. Amazing, man. Great, great stuff, great stuff. Tell me, last question, what social groups do you connect with that, that inspire you? It's been, it's been a lot over the years, depending on where I am in my life, depending on where I lived. Uh, right now, I'm a part of two, Zoom, because of COVID-19, Zoom Bible studies. So it's a guy, Jensen Franklin. He's a pastor of a big church in um in uh in Florida. I'm sorry, Georgia, in Gainesville, Georgia, called Free Chapel. I've never met Pastor Franklin, but one of his pastors is a guy named Mike Thurman. Mike Thurman and I hit it off when I spoke at a FCA Fellowship of Christian Athletes event in Georgia last summer, and we've been friends ever since. He's one of the pastors there at that church. He invited me to come to a men's Bible study online on Zoom. So for the last four or five months, uh, probably four months. I, that's what I've been doing. Every Monday we meet 
and it's been amazing for me. It's about 40 to 50 coach. I mean, 40 to 50 uh, men who, who are, are believers, and it's been great for me. Then on Friday, it's 40 to 50 coaches. And maybe 10 of these guys overlap, but it's a different group. And uh, many of them are athletic directors. Many of them are, are, are football coaches, basketball, baseball. So those two social groups have really helped me grow in many areas of my life. Sometimes it's a very serious conversation. We talked about fatherhood over Father's Day. And some of those comments, man, would really just shock you, just, just rock you. We've had some um, psychological evaluations with a psychiatrist on. We've had some counseling sessions. So it's been really good for me socially. And uh, right now, that's what's really been helping me. But I've connected with several different groups uh, from fraternities, uh, even some sororities, from churches, uh, also to, to clubs and different organizations, depending on where I've lived and the proximity of that, that group of those people. Well, that's good stuff, man. We appreciate it. Hey, listen, before I let you go, I've got to know, Tell the people, how did the first take thing come about? I, I'm, I'm really impressed by anybody that can put Stephen A. Smith in their place. You had them stammering and, and, and backpedaling, and, and you did a great job on the show. How did that whole thing come about? Well, great question. A friend of mine, Dante Shepard, found out about this contest that you can do called First Take Your Take. And he did it. He was a finalist, but he didn't get on. He called me. He said, man, if I was a finalist, you can get on that thing. I was like, man, I'm not trying to do that. He said, I'm telling you, you got to do it. So I, that day I made a, a two-minute video. It actually was two minutes and three seconds. I sent my video in, and they said my video was too long to be in the contest. Has to be two minutes or less. But an intern from ESPN uh, contacted me, and she said, Willie, what you did was great. You will get on. We just need you to follow the guidelines. Please do another video. So I did another video. I made sure it was a minute and 59 seconds. I got a, a, I got a call, and they said, we can't guarantee you a spot, but we believe that you're going to be able to battle Stephen A. or Max on this certain date. So be ready. We're going to call you like at 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock, I think it was. So I got the call toward the end of the show. Well, at first, they didn't call. It was like 15 minutes later. I was worried. It's like, man, I'm not going to get on. They called me. They said, you're going to be on in five minutes. I was like, oh, my goodness. My heart started beating fast. I was sweating under my arms. They didn't tell me if it was going to be Max or Stephen uh -huh. A. And then two minutes beforehand, I hear Stephen A talking. He doesn't know I can hear him in the studio. And he's, he's complaining that I have the same take that he has. So I interrupt and I say, well, I have, we have the same take, but for different reasons. We started talking. And then I just started talking noise. You know, it's kind of like, Jay, if you're going to fight somebody that you know probably can beat you up, you might want to get your <laughs> lick in. You might want to get your lick in real quick. Yeah. You know, same in one-on-one -on -one basketball. If it's make it, take it, and you may not get the ball back, you may want to shoot your best <laughs> shot first. You know, so I went, I went right in on him. I mean, he respected that. And then, then I complimented him on how good of a job he's done in his career. And he was like, well, thank you. I said, but Stephen A., don't let the compliments fool you, bro. You about to get this work. And Molly was like, oh, my goodness. I said, so, Molly, let me know when y'all ready. I said, because I'm finna come out swinging. I said, Stephen A., I don't thank you all that, to be honest, bro. I mean, you, all you do is use all these big words that don't nobody, don't nobody even know those words. You're looking up stuff in the dictionary before you get on TV. I mean, I just went in on it. And, uh, man, I was so nervous. My entire shirt was soaking with sweat when it was over. But when we was off the air, 
Jay, he complimented me. He was so nice. He was like, man, you were really good. You can do this for oh, a living. Like, wow. He was very complimentary. And uh, and we talked for at least five minutes wow. after it was over, you know. And so, uh, yeah, man, it's definitely a highlight, something I always remember, man. Uh, yes, true yes, and I encourage everybody out there to go ahead and look it up. You can watch the video on YouTube. But, well, Willie, thank you so much for the value you have brought today. And to all our engaged and athletic leaders out there, go out and be your best. Hey, guys, if you'd like to connect with me to answer any questions or if I can help you in any way, shoot me a line at jlpengages at gmail.com. As always, rating the podcast helps others find us easier. So we appreciate if you can do that as well. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Now go out and be your best.